Listen well to this story I tell, for some is fact and some is fiction, but all of it is true. I'm Bradley Rolfe, and I'm reading my blog. Okay, so this episode is a twofer, and is going to have no commentary at the end. Uh, we're just going to let these ones stand on their own. Enjoy. Originally posted May 9th, 2018. Birth of a Cocktail. The Justify. This past weekend, I had the opportunity to bartend for a friend's Kentucky Derby watch party. It was a relatively casual affair, but we designed it to have a fitting selection of cocktails to complement the day. I made a large batch of mint simple syrup to crank out the juleps, and with the race falling on the 5th of May this year, I was certain to have some tequila and citrus on hand for margaritas. Guests circulated pre-race, and my roommate, who was also invited, posted up near the bar so we could regale other partygoers with our patented witty banter trademark. As a matter of course, the conversation came around to the coincidence of the Derby and Cinco de Mayo falling on the same day. David then extrapolated that if indeed we have distinct signature cocktails for each day separately, it follows that we should have a combination beverage to unite the two. Now, rather than mixing up a mint julep and a margarita and dumping them unceremoniously into the same red solo cup, we worked together to design a more elegant solution. We first identified the vital flavors of each. Obviously, the combination of both bourbon and tequila, albeit non-traditional, was a must. The mint syrup would also be required for the character of this drink. We started with the structure of the margarita, as its recipe holds room for more ingredients than a mint julep. The base I was working from was a two-parts tequila, one-part triple sec, one-part simple syrup, one-part lime juice. I started by splitting the booze, one tequila, one bourbon, and trading out the simple for mint. I also had run low on fresh-squeezed lime juice at this point, so I subbed in lemon, which I think is a fitting citrus opposite the bourbon, and fitting to include for my roommate's namesake. We tasted, we considered, and we adjusted a few bits. Now all we needed was a name for the drink. We tried to wrestle together some portmanteau of the name of the day and the event, but all attempts proved fruitless. As jockeys and horses filed into the starting gate, inspiration struck. We designed a cocktail on the day, for the day, It, of course, must have a name tying it to this historic moment. David, I said, whichever horse wins this race, that's the name of the drink. We share a moment of knowing affirmation, followed by a pure contact high five. And they were off. Due to the way leap years work, we have to wait 11 years until this beverage is timely again. However, I think it's a fine drink for any patio, any year. Enjoy the Justify. Recipe. One ounce tequila reposado. One ounce Kentucky bourbon. One ounce lemon juice. A half ounce triple sec. A half ounce mint simple syrup. Shake and strain over ice. 
Garnish with a lime and a sprig of mint. Optional, serve in a commemorative 144th Kentucky Derby glass. Originally posted June 9th, 2018. A treatise on chicken boo. Steven Spielberg's 1990s Saturday morning triumph, Animaniacs, is a something-something introductory sentence. The variety program was a highlight of my youth, alongside Earthworm Jim, Hysteria, and Jackie Chan Adventures, if that gives you any context. At the time, my favorite segment, and still rates very highly, was Good Idea, Bad Idea. I recently revisited the series and was delightfully surprised that my nostalgic remembrances of the show were largely accurate. It is every bit as good as it was then. In addition to G.I.B.I., I had completely forgotten about The Wheel of Morality and Randy Beeman, Absolute Comedy Gold. Another bit of note, at the time I was not a fan of the Rita and Runt segment because that's the part with the boring song. Only now, when I read the opening credits, Welcome to Adulthood, did I realize, what? That's Bernadette. The show didn't age perfectly, and there are moments that are distinctly problematic. However, the most important thing right now is to take a closer look at Chicken Boo. In the blog, I've linked to a, a video on YouTube of the theme song, the lyrics of which which I will sing because I'm not afraid. Chicken boo, what's the matter with you? You don't act like the other chickens do. You wear a disguise to look like human guys, but you're not a man, you're chicken boo. If you are unfamiliar, the formula is as such. Chicken boo is a giant, six foot tall chicken. He is not humanoid and he does not speak English. He clucks and box. We always meet Mr. Boo in media res as some superstar at the height of his field. A Russian primo ballerino, an old west gunslinger, a confederate general, etc. Everyone loves Chicken Boo's assumed identity, but one naysayer comes along and declares, he's a chicken I tell ya, a giant chicken. To which the general public says, no, no, of course not, that's ridiculous. Until, as a matter of course, Boo's disguise falls off somehow, he makes a chicken noise, and everyone turns on him and runs him out of town. Cue theme music and transition. On the surface, it's a simple joke. It's absurd that a whole population can be fooled by a simple disguise and not see the truth. The show could be merely a formula providing a repeatable backdrop for a variety of three to four minute genre parodies. But Chicken Boo represents much more than that, and the repetition is vital to understanding the greater implications. Chicken Boo's disguises work across many settings, physically and historically, so unless you're willing to accept this segment as a broad indictment of human stupidity, the crux of the matter lies with the titular character and not the supporting ensemble. Not that I discount the power of human stupidity and tribalism and mob mentality, but in this context, it's harder to pin that as the primary theme of Chicken Boo. 
What is more remarkable than the fact that the people around him don't recognize Boo for the chicken he is, is the fact that in spite of his achievements, they systematically turn against our hero when his true identity is revealed. Chicken Boo doesn't just wear a disguise. He has a reputation that precedes him. He is bona fide good at what he does. One doesn't con their way into becoming a finalist in the Tri-State Karate Championship. He has trained with a sensei alongside other pupils and must have defeated many other contenders within the rules of the tournament sparring to reach this level. Chicken Boo has put in the work and risen to greatness in his selected field. Some episodes leave room for ambiguity, but to accurately interpret, we must look to the core formula. And that implies that time and dedication have been spent assuming each character. So why do the townspeople reject him? Only because he is a giant chicken and therefore has no place in their society. Until the revelation of his identity as a chicken, he was widely accepted. This also to no detriment of the community. They don't say, get out of here because you're a chicken and you cause property damage or bodily injury. It is only his identity as a chicken that offends them. None of his actions disrupt the social order. I see no good reason for the vitriol. But maybe you side with the townspeople. Regardless of his material successes, he has committed a fraud against the citizenry. Besides, he is in fact a chicken and has no place in human society. He ought to stick to his own kind. But something motivates Chicken Boo to don a human outfit and manner, and I don't believe it is a desire to defraud anyone. A look back at the theme illuminates. You don't act like the other chickens do. While this doesn't point to any specific intent, it seems to imply that Boo has no place among the other chickens. He doesn't feel like he belongs to that tribe. Perhaps he has been rejected due to his gargantuan stature. Who knows? But what I do know is I see a chicken Boo desperately longing for acceptance and willing to go to any length to find it. Chicken Boo is a classically tragic figure. No matter how he strives for belonging, he is destined to fail. Look again to the theme song, which in this literary criticism functions as a Greek chorus. This disembodied voice is the audience's direct connection to the world of the narrative. It sets the stage for what we are about to experience and tells us how we should feel. However, in this setting, rather than directing our posture to the story at hand, it opens us to come to our own conclusion. Chicken Boo, what's the matter with you? Is something fundamentally wrong with who Chicken Boo is? Or perhaps the question is not accusatory, but empathetic. What's the matter? How can we understand you, Boo? How can we learn from your struggle? Can we do better than the townspeople? Can we do better than you? What makes a citizen? What makes an outcast? What makes a monster and what makes a man? Sing the bells of Boo Tradam.
Bullseye Blog is a production of me, Bradley Rolfe. If you have a recipe or pop culture or literary theory to share, I can be found on Instagram and Twitter under my real name. If you'd like to skip ahead, links to my blog and other creative projects I'm working on can be found at anotherwhitesuburbanite.com. Thank you.